0: Let us all turn together to the Word of God this evening. We're going to read from the book of Acts. This inspired history of the early church, a book that sometimes is given the title The Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, through the Apostles. That's a longer title than we have printed in our Bibles, but it's an excellent title, Interpreting... The history for us, these chapters in the book of Acts, given by inspiration of the Holy Spirit's work among the people of God and among the apostles in particular. We're reading tonight from Acts chapter 13. Only a few verses from the start of the chapter, Acts chapter 13. And if you can, please put a marker in the place, because... I may make reference elsewhere. In fact, I do plan to make some references elsewhere, and then we'll get back to next chapter 13 without any difficulty. I counted the privilege to be here tonight and to have a part in this missionary convention. Uh, I have been praying, as have the people of God in this place and in many other Places of fellowship for a visitation from heaven in these meetings. We felt God's presence last night. And again this morning, we were greatly encouraged. I I take that as a token, a token from God. And we're looking tonight again for help from heaven. We can't go on our own strength, but we pray that night by night, we may experience a visitation from God. And that the speaking voice of the Lord will be heard in these meetings, mostly by his people. But then some may come, who as yet know not the Saviour. And although the word is addressed to God's people in the main, yet our prayer unceasingly goes up to the throne of grace. For our friends who are still out of Christ, that they may come now, look to the Lord and live. So we'd like to... Thank the brethren and sisters in the mission board and in the missionary council too for their support. We like to think think constantly of the good work that they are doing with vision and purpose. Next chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets. And teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lysias of Cyrene and Manaan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. And so, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, and you notice the combination there between the Activity in the church and the purpose of the Lord. They were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. Whereas in verse 3, we can see how the church of God there released them for the work. They sent them away. Sometimes in missionary work, you could have a church operating without the direction of the Holy Spirit. That would be a sad thing. But sometimes it's the other way around. The Spirit of God is sending them man, And the church, perhaps in given circumstances, may not see their way to go along with God. An unhappy situation either way. But this time, in Acts chapter 13, the church is sending them forth in response to that direction, given by the Spirit of God. And then on top of that, like an amen from heaven, the Holy Ghost is sending these men forward into the work. They being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So they go with the amen of heaven on their way. And I believe we can all take this to heart tonight, those who are to the four in our missionary enterprises, and those who uh, are on the periphery looking on, praying for them, we're going to say, Lord, let us walk step by step with God, even God the Holy Spirit. We'll turn to the Lord in prayer this evening. You've heard Mr. Graham tell you my subject and uh, it is the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work. Somebody here may say, well, that's a long title. And so it is. And if I were to shorten the title well, without permission, if I were to shorten that title, it would be the importance of the infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work. But I'm not going to shorten the title. I'm glad that friends in the mission board created the longer version which reads the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work and for every other kind of work. That's carried on in the Savior's name. We need the breath of God every time. So we have that subject tonight. It's a huge subject, wide-ranging in itself. Yet at the same time, uh, a wisely chosen subject, an inspiring subject. But I'm very, very aware that I need help from God with a message like this before me. So we're going to bow in prayer together. And just you lift your heart to heaven for me. Pray that God might fill me tonight with the Holy Spirit and with wisdom and grace and power. May we have the touch of God, the guidance of the Lord, to say some things that maybe we didn't anticipate, but just say see them. We want the mind of God, the mind of the Spirit in this service. And so, let us hold on to the Lord together just now. Lord, we give thee thanks tonight with all our hearts for the meeting together of thy people, for the opportunity for us to have fellowship the one with the other. It stirs our hearts, stirs our hearts into thanksgiving, stirs our hearts into anticipation, of better things in the days to come. Lord, we felt last evening, as we have felt this morning, and again tonight with the singing of these hymns, we have felt thy presence. We believe, Lord, when we call upon thee to come to the battlements of glory and to look down from high heaven upon us here in our ministries, We believe, Lord, we can have the favor of God. We can have unction from heaven. We can have the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I cry out to thee tonight for clear guidance in this service, that I may speak as one directed by the Lord, as one in God's hands. Lord, we have thy word in front of us. We have thy people present in this hour, waiting upon thee earnestly in prayer, looking, Lord, in anticipation for the speaking voice of God. Lord, some of us will be praying tonight for an increase of faith. And some will be saying, Lord, build me up in my most holy faith. And some will be praying, Lord, revive Thy work in my soul. O Lord, leave us not. I pray then for the infilling of the Holy Spirit that He may guide me in this ministry this evening. In Jesus' name, Amen. Look with me then, if you will, this chapter 13 in the book of Acts, those words in the verse 2. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. You may have noticed in the reading how the members of the church at Antioch assembled themselves before God they came to pray with burden of heart. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit of God stepped in with counsel from heaven, saying, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. And thus began, I just want to pause here, and notice this beginning, for it's a historic moment in the church, and I'll explain that in a second. But I just want to hesitate here and say this is a beginning of beginnings, this historic moment now that I have been describing. And in my notes I have the line, Thus begun the first missionary journey into land's, far beyond the boundaries of the land of promise and the land of Israel. That's a significant thing. I want you to keep in mind, if you will, that the starting point for this bold enterprise was the new and thriving church in Antioch. And that church is depicted for us in the chapters of the book of Acts, chapters 11, and chapter 13. It's a growing church. A church born out of revival. A praying church. Evidently in touch with God. Uh, my preliminary remarks will have indicated that. And then further. This is a missionary minded church in Antioch. A church going forward with God in almost every way. So it blesses our hearts to be looking into these verses prayerfully now. And God the Holy Spirit, just to follow in line with the things that we have been saying and reading here in Acts 13, God the Holy Spirit, acting with his own sovereign will, has singled out two men for the work. He says, as you know, separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work. A distinct work of the Holy Spirit is in evidence here among the members of that fellowship in Antioch. A church, as I've said, born out of revival and yet with the spirit of prayer. And this missionary vision, that's our title for this week, missionary vision. We're right on the button here. Acts chapter 13. The Spirit of God has singled out these two men. Separate unto me Barnabas and Saul for the work. We need everywhere we go, we think of churches vacant, maybe looking for a minister and other areas too where there's room for someone to step into the work. We need someone there, sent of God, singled out plainly by the Holy Spirit to begin that work. Here, if you notice verse 1, five men are named. I ask myself questions many a time reading the Bible. And one of the questions here in verse 1, why does the Lord name the five men? You can see that this is a well-equipped or a well-furnished church in Antioch because there are numbers of uh, prophets and teachers. So these are capable men. And then out of that larger company of capable men, the Lord has brought five. And we haven't known about them all. We know about Barnabas and Saul. But We don't have the details to some extent on the others. And God has brought five men before us for attention. And I have asked myself, why did the Lord, having spoken of prophets and teachers, therefore we think of quite a number there in that church, why single out five when the Lord has two in mind? I can't just answer that to perfection. But I'll tell you my thoughts here. That many a time the church of God, in a time of uh, decision and uncertainty, many a time the church of God may create a list of potential men or women for this or that position. We're praying, we're asking God all the while for guidance. And looking at this list, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, made his own selection. If the church did indeed pick out five men, and I can't be too strong on that point, but it's a possibility. After all, we have to account for why five names were mentioned out of, oh, a considerable number of prophets and teachers. I believe the Lord has this little lesson for us to learn. That out of a list of five men, potential candidates for the work, the Lord chooses the man who's first on the list, Barnabas. He's to say, separate unto me, Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas, first name on the list. Then we look again, we find further that the Spirit of God takes the man who's lost on the list. And there he is at the end of verse 1. He's mentioned, Saul, lost on the list. Nothing appears in the Bible by accident. And sometimes if there isn't a plain statement, which always means we have to speak with caution, But sometimes, if there isn't a plain statement, the Lord leaves a hint. A hint to the people of God. And I think that's what we have here. At least that's the way it appears to me. That in the ongoing work of God, when brethren are considering openings in the work, That's the time to get the mind of God. And there are those times when the Lord takes the first man to your mind, who's available for the work. That's a happy thing. But just as truly, there have been occasions, and I'm thinking of Bible history now when I say this. There have been those times when someone away out there not only on the periphery, but in some cases beyond the periphery. With somebody away out there, last on the list, you may say. I, the very last, may well be God's man, in some cases God's woman, for that work. Separate them onto me. There's the elementary thing here, that I don't really need to stress for this congregation and the friends who have come. Because this is something you know right well, right on down to the depths of your heart. But just the same, when we're outlining missionary vision, it's absolutely essential to hit the nail on the head. And you will see here in verse 2 how the word brought to them as counsel from heaven by the Holy Spirit, separate Unto me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. These men have the call of God. And we've got to say here, although I'll just establish the point and go on, I don't need to press at home. Everybody here consents to it, but it's necessary when we're laying down the foundation to say it and say it plainly how absolutely essential it is to have men and women on the field who have a definite and a clear call from God to be there. These two men are called of God. I did say earlier, we've come to a historic moment, a very important moment, and the Spirit of God is indicating two men for the work but I have called them. They go with the call of God. These men are called to go. That's absolutely necessary. And then the next step after that is to separate them. Separate them onto the work, enabling these men to say, not only do I have the call from God, but I know where the Lord wants me to go. They're separated onto the work to the degree that it's that work and no other. I, I'm not going to limit the Lord by what I say. Nevertheless, I, I must uh, talk about my own feelings in this regard, that when it comes to the work, I like to know of a candidate whether it's for foreign missions or home missions or whatever, I like to know of a candidate whose mind is set on the work. That's in parallel with what we've got here. Separate them onto the work so that it's not just the call. And one could, easy, even some of our, our own friends, could easily accept all we need is a call, and after that you come and take the step and go. But, oh, there's more. I believe it is essential, or at least it's helpful, for that person called of God to be separated onto the work, saying, I know where the Lord wants me to go. I want to be in the center of his will in the place Where I am, separate them onto the work. Do you see elements here in the way of guidance absolutely fundamental to Christian work? First of all, the call of God. I I say this with feeling, and and I do believe I say this with your wholehearted consent. We never want to see men in the ministry or in evangelism or any full-time work who haven't got the call of God to be there. Give me a man every time in the ministry who says, I know for sure I have a call of God to be here. You're on slippery ground if you can't say that. And then secondly, to be separated onto the work. I wouldn't want a man to say I'm called, but I haven't much heart for the work. I don't know whether I'm in it or out of it. That's a bad thing. To be separated onto the work is brought to our notice here. And further, there's another kind of separation. And some, I wonder if this is the case, some may have missed it altogether. What sort of separation is that? Again, I come back to verse 3. It's a separation perhaps more important than the other separation I mentioned, separation under the work. The call from God, number one. Separation under the work, number two. This separation, what is it? In verse 3, you have the words, Separate unto me. The Holy Spirit is saying that. Separate these men unto me. Now, that's a new dimension. This man, Saul, and Barnabas too, we can as readily speak of one as the other in this case. These men are God's property. These men are God's possession. And that's what it means. When we talk about the fullness of the Holy Ghost, another way to explain the fullness of the Holy Ghost in practice is to say, there's a man who's God's personal possession, a man who will say, Lord, I will go where you want me to go. I will be what you want me to be. I will do what you want me to do without hesitation. I will say what you want me to say. That's a man at God's disposal. You can't be filled with the Holy Spirit unless that can be said of you. I'm a man or a woman at God's disposal to be in the Lord's house, to be molded just as He wills, There's no room for self-will or other purposes that we can have on the side. Separated onto the work with dedication. That comes through loud and clear here, does it not? And then separated onto the Holy Ghost. And one definition that we can give, and it's a very significant definition of the fullness of the Spirit is that man is separated onto God, the Holy Ghost. I can can illustrate that. William Booth, leader of the Salvation Army. When he was an old man, he was interviewed. Mind you, the story of William Booth is most remarkable. God filled that man with the Holy Ghost. And an interviewer said to him, Mr. Booth, looking back over your years in the ministry... When thousands upon thousands of people have been influenced by your ministry and even to the uttermost part of the earth, your name is known. What is the secret? Because, Mr. Booth, you had humble beginnings. His work was despised, and he worked among despised people. He worked among lost, guilty sinners. And they said, Mr. Mr. Booth, what's the secret? He said, there's no secret. But the explanation is, God had all that there was of William Booth. That puts it exactly as we want it. You can see then what it means in terms of that illustration to be separated onto God, the Holy Ghost. In the words of William Booth, you couldn't have it clearer. And therefore, even if you say, coming into the service, now here's a subject tonight, I've never understood it perfectly. Somebody could be saying that. But I think you're getting the hang of it now. Separated onto the Holy Ghost. To be God's property. To be in every sense God's man or God's woman in the work. That's it. Mr. Booth said then, God had all that there was of William Booth. And that was the explanation for how his name, although he started a despised work, humble beginnings, influencing thousands upon thousands of people, many of them turned to Christ. It's powerful. Now, I may say a few words about the fullness of the Holy Spirit, helping you tonight to come to a clear perception of this subject. Because, as you know, we have the subject there the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work, we have to hit the nail on the head. Let it be said that the infilling of the Holy Spirit is totally different from the indwelling of the Spirit. I want to make it abundantly clear. Every believer, every child of God without exception, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in his or her heart. Galatians 4 and 6, because you your sons. God has sent forth the spirit of the Son into your hearts. Glory to God. Glory to God for that. God, in this wonderful miracle called regeneration, has sent forth because you're a child of the King, because you're saved, because you belong to Christ. That's registered in heaven. Dear friend, and I will tell you, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son in response to that salvation. He has sent Him into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, He's there tonight. Glory to God. The Holy Spirit abiding with us forever. That's what Jesus Christ, our Savior, prayed. I will pray the Father, He shall give you another Comforter that He may abide with you forever. But we have this word continual in the title concerning the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And in regard to the child of God filled with the Holy Ghost, it's got to be said, this word continual means that time after time, as the occasion requires, a new door opens, a new challenge is there, or in the case of a preacher, you have a new meeting to take. That's a time again when you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to pray for the power of the Spirit. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So we obtain the fullness of the Spirit by prayer, by asking God. Whereas for the indwelling Spirit, At conversion, you immediately receive the Holy Spirit of God to dwell in your heart. And that's a lovely, lovely thing. I could just repeat that verse, Galatians 4 and 6, all night, because you're sons. You have this privilege because you are a child of the King. Now, God has recognized that in heaven, And he has sent forth the Spirit of the Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And as the indwelling Spirit, he's there forever. But there's a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the infilling of the Spirit. The infilling of the Spirit is for power in service. A very simple way to put it is in salvation. In salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. But in terms of service, does the Holy Spirit have you? To refer to William Booth again, for it's a very clear definition. God had all that there was of William Booth. If he said, then I put my all on the altar... You can see how true that is. And the question here is in salvation, you have the Holy Spirit, but in terms of service, in terms of what you do for the Lord, does the Holy Spirit have you? Fullness of the Spirit. It's a wonderful subject, not to be confused with the indwelling of the Spirit. But the fullness of the Spirit is for power in service. And I want to bring to your notice tonight three sterling texts in Scripture which will define the fullness of the Spirit. I I do believe that there are many Christians confused about teaching on the fullness of the Spirit, and sometimes different names and titles are suggested to describe the fullness of the Spirit, and maybe that uh, contributes to confusion. But what I want to do tonight for the benefit of the Christian, if you're just a young Christian, this will benefit you tremendously if you're a believer, many many years, many years on the road. I believe also, when I single out these three verses, and they'll be easily found, and you can make a note off them, I believe you'll go away saying, if I came in tonight with a wee, wee bit of uncertainty about what it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost, now I know. To introduce this part of the message, let me say, For a preacher, every time he goes to preach, he needs to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. That's why we have our topic tonight, uh, the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. You can lose God's power. It's so easy to drift away and allow your heart to get cold. And so before, you see this book here, before you handle this word, in public, it's so essential for you to say, Lord, I need the breath of God. I I deeply need the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of you will know this. When Dr. Paisley would preach in church, every time he opened the book of God, he prayed this prayer every time. I take... The promised Holy Ghost. The mighty power of Pentecost. To fill me to the uttermost. I take he undertakes for me. Some people might have thought, oh, perhaps that's a sort of ritualistic prayer. A form of words only. An empty form of words. I can assure you that's not the case. It wouldn't matter to me. Who who imagined it was just an empty form? I can tell you for a fact, that's nowhere near the truth, but that it was the intention in Mr. Paisley's heart every time he was to minister from God's Word. From the book of God, he would have a breath from heaven, the anointing of God to preach, how important that is. Now I'm going to go through my text quickly, because Father Time As a friend to nobody. But look at this. Luke 24, 49. We'll have some here interested in studying Scripture. And some are young believers, young in the faith. And you're saying it's something of a new subject to me to hear about the fullness of the Spirit. And my question is, what's it all about? Well, I'm giving you three verses tonight. For you to note down in your Bible so that after this, tonight, tomorrow, next year, somebody asks you, tell me, what does it mean for a person to be filled with the Holy Ghost? If you've remembered even one of the three verses, you'll do well. I'm giving you three, so surely you can't forget all three. But mark them down in your Bible. Write down the reference later, if need be. Luke 24, 49. And I will tell you what it says there. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. There are three things basically there. First of all, the promise of the Father. Secondly, the command to tarry. And thirdly, the enduement of power. That's as simple as anything. You can see that right away. The first one, it's part of the promise of the Father for a believer to be filled with the Spirit. That's what the Lord Jesus says. I send the promise of my Father upon you. And secondly, to obtain the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's necessary to wait upon God in earnest supplication until you have come to the point of leaving all at the Savior's feet and putting everything on the altar. Like Mr. Booth, that God might have all of you that there is to be had. And there are the three things, the last of them, explaining in plainest detail what it is to be filled with the Spirit what is it? If you have the verse you can see it. You could even shout out the answer. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Ghost? Luke 24, 49 If you have tarried in prayer with expectation ask the Lord you can be endued with power from on high. Hallelujah. The infilling of the Holy Spirit has everything to do with the enduement of power from on high. And there's another verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I- I'm saying to you tonight, these are three definitive verses. Verses that define our subject in clearest terms. So clear, in fact, that you couldn't possibly have a question about it afterwards. Acts 1 and 8. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Ghost? In Luke to be endued with power from on high. In Acts 1 and 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me. Power to witness. We have all felt the difficulty saying that we word for the Lord, whether it's been a personal witness or whether we have been called in a public sense to minister. We've all felt that sort of intimidation and hardness, and we've said to the Lord, Lord, I can't go. But you can wait on God. Get it down in your Bible, Acts 1 and 8, because some child of God with good intention, even the best intention, may come to you with something that confuses you totally in your mind, and you'll be able to answer. You'll say, rattle off the three texts, then then... Uh, You'll get the golden prize at the end of the year. But I tell you this, ye shall receive power. Is that clear or is it not? Power to do what? Power to be a witness, a witness for me. Is that clear or is it not? I would suggest to you it's as clear as day. And if you have embraced that tonight, you'll never have a question about the infilling of the Holy Spirit again. But I said there would be a third verse. And you turn to chapter 4. Chapter 4 in the book of Acts. Chapter 4 this time. And the verse 31. Oh, what a verse this is! Get the three verses down. Listen, you may say, Oh, I'll never be questioned about it. The time may come when you will. And you will need to be clear about this. Why did the Lord speak about the fullness of the Spirit. What is the purpose for the fullness of the Spirit? Why should the child of God be concerned about the fullness of the Spirit? These three verses go a long, long way to giving you the answer. Acts 4 and 31. Oh, this is tremendous. Look at it, please. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. That's the only time in the New Testament the place was shaken by the power of God when they were assembled together for prayer, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. And further down, verse 33, with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. What's the purpose? Why should the mission board be concerned in this week of mission vision? Be concerned about the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work and for every other kind of endeavor conducted in Jesus' name. It's the only path the church can take. It's the only way forward for the Christians. There are three things that I'm going to select out of that verse, and they're very quick about it. First of all, they assemble for prayer. They're praying for the power of God to come upon them. Be clear about that. And secondly, the answer to that prayer. For the Spirit of God came down answering prayer, and again, glory to God, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. More about that in a moment. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And thirdly, there's the power. In the last bit of verse 31, they spake the word of God with boldness. Oh, God can give you power to speak, even if it's a wee word in conversation. Never forget this. No matter how you're ministering, if you're called on to say a word for the Lord, may be your testimony. It may be, as I said, a word between you and a friend. Don't forget to lift your heart to the Lord and cry to the Lord for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. They speak the word of God with boldness. And I said, I'm going to come back on the thing there for a second. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Remember my title tonight the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work. And the point is, these people assembled together for prayer when the Spirit of God came down and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. These people, these same people, or almost every one of them, would have been present on the day of Pentecost well in acts 2 and 4 they were all filled with the holy ghost but now in acts 4:31 some days later could it be 5 days later could it be 10 days later 20 days later we're not quite sure there i'm not sure anyway but a, sh- a short period of days and those who were filled with the spirit on the day of pentecost acts 4:31 says they were filled They were filled again with the Spirit of God because a new situation had developed. There's a new phase of service open to them if God opens the door. You see the three verses? Luke 24, 49. What does it mean, endued with power from on high? You see Acts 1 and 8. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Ye shall receive power and shall be witnesses unto me. To speak of Christ. And Acts 4.31. Acts 4.31. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. The power of God came down upon them. And with great boldness and conviction and power and certainty, they began to speak about the Lord. You and I will find we can't do these things for God in our own strength. And we need to be equipped with the breath from heaven. Men and women, tonight, as I close this service, can, can I bring you back to the starting point? It's, I think it's a good thing when you come to the end to refer to the starting point. And that was the title. I give you it again. The importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit for missionary work and for all other endeavors too. Now, somebody may say, I came into this meeting tonight knowing the subject was going to be about the fullness of the Spirit, and I wasn't at all clear about it. And somebody else may say, indeed, I was confused about it. But I do not believe that anybody, having gone through these crystal clear texts, these three verses... I don't believe anybody can say I'm in the dark now. I think you have to say the confusion is gone. The matter is as clear as day. What God's speaking about When he refers to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Don't get distracted. Don't get into incidentals. It's not the incidentals that matter. That's just human nature unfortunately. To make more of the incidentals than the actual promise. The promise here is about power to witness for Christ. And I believe now we can go through the gears on this title. We can move on somewhat further. And you may say, when I came in tonight, the subject was the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. But now I can see that my focus is no longer just the importance of the continual infilling, but my focus now is on the necessity, the absolute necessity for the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And then we can move from there further through the gears where God helping us will have moved from the importance of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit to the place where deep down in our hearts we're saying to the Lord, Lord, I can see the absolute necessity for The continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. And then I say, there's another step up, too. You say, what is that? Why, the word experience. That we might, before long, have the experience of the continual infilling of the Holy Spirit. And that's really something. I send you away tonight with Isaiah 44 and 3 in your mind. I will pour water, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods, floods upon the dry ground. How often we have sung about it, oh for the floods, we have sung, sung it in this church, oh for the floods on the thirsty land, oh for the mighty revival, oh for the sanctified fearless band, ready to heal its revival. And then there have been times when the tide went out. Things were hard. as of sand instead of the rolling sea, the tide was out. And we had to sing inside these four walls. Our service for God, men and women, our service for God has been barren and dry. And barren it shall remain. Until we're blessed with a fire from on high and the sound of abundance of rain, and I can only say tonight, as we sang there, let it come, O Lord, we pray thee, let the showers of blessing fall. We're waiting and expecting or oh, revive the hearts of all. Has the Lord spoken to you that you might say, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit, have thine own way completely in my life? Is God calling somebody here to the work? Have you could you have possibly turned a deaf ear to the Lord? Is the Lord speaking to you about putting your all on the altar tonight? Being at God's disposal. This could be a turning point. This could be a turning point to register in heaven. I pray, God, that you will know that touch from heaven, Mr. Graham.